The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Again, it is great to be back with you. Um, we all survived, and uh, so if it's been a while since you've been with us, guess what? It's been a while since we've been together. We were in John chapter 11. We still are, uh, but at the uh, main campus, at the Orlando campus last week, we preached through a little bit of this, so let's kind of catch up where we have been and where we will be today. If you're familiar with the story of Lazarus from John chapter 11, that's where we've been in, and today we get like the good We get the big moment, right? We get the coming back from the dead moment. So I'm excited that we get that today. But there's been some things that have happened before that. Like number one, we've learned that Jesus loved Lazarus, loved Mary, loved Martha, his sisters, um, and yet Jesus let Lazarus die. And then we see Jesus show up in John chapter 11. He shows up and he is deeply moved by the sorrow of Mary and with Martha. And what's really interesting, I encourage you to go back and look at it this week, is the way that he deals with both of them. Completely different. Martha is that type A personality, that detailed person. I don't know if that's you in your family, but everyone else in your family, they know that that's you, right? If that's you, right? And so that's Martha, and she's coming up to Jesus. She's like, if you had been here, and she starts saying like all of the right things, you know what I mean? Like, I believe whatever I ask of God, like it'll happen, whatever. So she's saying all this stuff, and Jesus kind of deals with her almost intellectually, because that's the way she is. And then you have Mary, who just shows shows up and cries. If you had been here, my brother still be alive and just kind of cry. And Jesus just hugs her and just cries with her, right? Like we have these two completely different responses showing just how personal Jesus is. And, and so now here we are. Jesus has made this claim to Martha. He said that your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. So let's get after it. Here's the big miracle. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 11, verse 38 through 57. If you don't have one, you need one. There's some on the ends of the road there, John chapter 11. And listen, uh, if you wanna follow along on your smartphone, you can do that. If you have the Discover Grace app, there's a Bible app in there. You can follow along there as well. We will think you're texting, but we judge silently here, so it doesn't matter. All right, so here we go. John 11, there we go, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you, not, do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, 
They made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he'll not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know that they might arrest him. So this big moment, I mean, Jesus this is a giant, giant miracle. Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead. And I'm not talking zombies, right? I'm not saying Lazarus comes back and he wants brains. I'm saying he's really alive. Like he was dead and now he's alive. It's not spooky. It's amazing. So this past week we went uh, to Disney because we love Jesus. And uh, we brought our, our boys and my two oldest boys. I was like, it's time. You need to go in the Haunted Mansion. We tried to go a year ago and like nightmares ensued. That didn't work. But my boys had like talked themselves up like they were going to be brave and so they had two very very different responses at the end of it my youngest boy he was like that was the best ride ever and my oldest boy said dad that was horrible and he said worst ride ever and so he was scared this is not scary Jesus brings Lazarus back the the guy you knew four days ago is back and better than ever this is a big deal but there's something strange that happens in this narrative and I don't know if you caught it but but maybe maybe you will look at verse 39 Jesus said take away the stone look at verse 44 Jesus said to them unbind him and let him go Jesus has the power over death, to bring someone from death to life. And yet, what is it? it looks like he needs help, right? Like, Jesus didn't have the power to move a stone. Jesus didn't have a power to get that dude's, like, get all the, the spices and, the, and all of the, the, the wrappings. That, he couldn't have gotten that off. Like, Jesus had to say, hey, I need some help. I'm going to do this great miracle. I have control over death, but stones really trip me up, right? Like, what is the deal here? Why in the world is he calling other people to do this? And here's why. Because Jesus always calls us to participate in his work. Like he calls people to participate in the work that he's doing. I mean, it's incredible. He is bringing dead, spiritually dead people back to life. He's meeting needs of people that, that we can't even imagine how he's doing it. He is bringing hope into the darkest places and he uses you and me to do it. He has a place for us in it. Our, our mission here at Grace Church is to what? To, br- to help people take their next step toward Christ. And guess how he does it? He does it through us. He does it through all of us. He does this incredible work that we can't do, all right? Like if I could drag people to Jesus, I would do it. If I could talk people into Jesus, I would do it. That's a work that only God can do. I can't regenerate hearts. Believe me, if I could, I would. I can't do that. And yet there's a place for us in that work. He calls us to that work. And so there's this big question we have to ask ourselves. If that is true, if you believe that, then why don't we participate in that work more? You know what I mean? Like if he's really called us to it, he's doing amazing things all the time and he has a place for all of us in his work, why don't we do it more? Well, I think the answer is when you look at the chief priests and the Pharisees, what held them back? Look at verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Now, now check this out real quick. None of them deny his power. None of them say, what are we to do? He is a magician. He's a liar and he's really good at it. And he has people thinking that Lazarus is alive again. No, no, no. They probably knew Lazarus. They probably saw Lazarus get super sick, right? They knew that Lazarus had been buried, right? They believe these people. They believe in the power that they are seeing. And yet, and yet, what is their response? 
If we let him go on like this, everyone will still believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What is holding them back from getting on the Jesus train here? What is holding them back? What do they say? If, if we let other people believe in him, the Romans are gonna come in and they're gonna take our place away. We got a sweet gig. We're the chief priests, all right? You got to think, like, I know we don't have necessarily something like that today, right? Like, may, maybe the closest to it, I don't know, maybe Pope or whatever. But, uh, but we don't have anything like that today. But, I mean, chief priests, that's like the highest amount of respect you could get. That is super rock star status here. Incredible power. And they're saying, if we do this, if we believe in this guy, if we let other people believe in this guy, then we could lose everything we've always worked for. We could lose our own kingdom, our life that we've built. And what holds us back? I think the same thing. What holds us back is that the lives we've built are at stake when we follow Jesus. Like our friendships are at stake when we go out and we witness for Jesus. Our social statuses, our safety, our dreams, our ambitions are at stake when we say, okay, God, I'm gonna do what you want me to do. And so what do we most often do? Well, sadly, what we most often do is we survive at the cost of service. We survive at the cost of service. I I could talk to my coworker about Jesus, but that could cost me my career in certain ways I'm not ready to give up. So what do we do? Instead of serving our coworker, what do we do? Our, our career survives. You know, we could adopt. We could. We could take care of this orphan in this way and we could adopt, but our family is comfortable. Our family dynamic just kind of works. And so what do we do? We don't serve and instead our family survives. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers here. I'm not pointing at anybody and saying like, you know I'm talking about you. No, 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 listen, I'm talking about me. There have been many times where God has put a need right in front of my face and yet to volunteer or to give my time to this, it would sacrifice my comfort. And so guess what? My comfort survives and the service is sacrificed, right? There have been plenty of times where there's a financial need right there in front of my face, but hey, this is my money and I have plans to use it for my own needs and my own things that I want, right? And so what happens? My money survives and the service is sacrificed. And this is normal. I don't want anyone in this room to feel weird for being like that. We've all been there and this is completely normal. But listen, it is not Jesus. It's normal, but it's not Jesus. It's normal, but it's not being the light of the world. It's normal, but it's not the salt of the earth. It's normal, but it's not Christian. And that's just true. And Jesus makes it really clear what his standard is. And here's the standard he sets. We are to serve at the cost of our survival. We're to serve at the cost of our survival. And you say, how can you say that? That doesn't even make sense. Like I'm trying to wrap my head around that. What are you talking about? I want you to look at verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Talking about Jesus. Jesus knew that if he were to raise Lazarus from the dead, that would be the moment, that would set things in motion that would end in his death. Jesus knew that in that moment, when he said, Lazarus, come out, he knew that that would end with him saying, it is finished. Do you understand? He knew at the cost of his own survival. Now listen, I don't know, like, I, I, I love you guys. I love my family. I love my kids or whatever. But I, I, like, I love you guys as friends. But I don't know if there was a moment that was put up between here where it's like, Grant, you could come through. You could help them out, right? You could go help out these people over here. There's a chance, though, you'll die. 
Like, I might just be like, look, I'm praying for you. All right. Like, I'm praying for you. Uh, can I, can, is there anything else I can do? Can I make a casserole for you? You know what I mean? Like, but Jesus said, you know what? I know that me stepping into the situation, I know that me serving them in this way, it's going to cost me everything. And he did it anyway. And that's, that's what he sets up there. Now, listen. I know like for me, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. Like it's hard for me to imagine that God would call me to serve at the cost of my own survival. But that really shouldn't shock us because listen to the things that Jesus said. Like Jesus said, if you try to, if you're looking for your life, you wanna keep your life, the only way to do that is to lose it. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said for us to really find our lives, we have to lose it. Now, now, if Jesus had just said that, like off by itself, you might have been able to write that off and go, okay, Jesus was a little off on his word game today, right? Like he just said something a little weird, a little extreme. But Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, the first thing you have to do is die. Like Jesus said that. You wanna follow me? Cool, cool, cool. Pick up your cross and follow me, right? Jesus sets this standard of giving everything before we follow him. And so in the same way, when we look at service, when we look at the way we're supposed to serve, then we have to sacrifice to serve because that's the example Jesus has set up for us. These are not just words. You must die to follow me. We lose our lives to find them. And I want you to think about a question that, that I gotta be quite honest, for me, is, it's a really damning question when I think about when was the last time you wrestled with an opportunity to serve because it would cost you so much. Because I, I don't wrestle that much with those opportunities. You know what I do? I say, I just let them pass by, right? Like I say, oh, that's an interesting thought. By thought, right? Like, no, 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 I'm not wrestling with that. But, but if we really are who we say we are, if we really are Christians, if we're really trying to live up to that standard that Jesus has set and be like Jesus, then we will serve at the cost, uh, that we will serve at our, the cost of our own survival. So when was the last time you wrestled with God telling you to do something because it would cost you so much? Or even when was the last time you sat down with your family and you guys wrestled together at the, at the cost of some sort of service because you knew it was gonna mess up your family, you knew it was gonna mess up your comfort. You knew it was going to do something. It was going to be so disruptive that you had to talk about it. You had to think about it and pray about it. I don't have a lot of those moments. And I'm sad to say, I'm embarrassed to say that. I don't have a lot of those moments. I mean, think about it. Think about maybe you are serving, but like, I mean, you didn't have to sit down and really agonize over, should we do this? Should whatever. And, and I guess the, the reason is because the culture we built here is a culture of absolute comfort. I mean, again, I, I told you already, we've been here a month. We've been to Disney how many times? Like seven, right? Like we've been to Disney like seven times. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And I expect like a magical experience every time I go. Like Disney is built for my comfort, right? Like I expect the person in the parking lot with the worst job ever. That's got to be the worst job ever. They're like, hey, it's super hot. Go stand in a parking lot as far away from the magic and happy people as possible, right? And help them park. And they're going to ignore you, but you can't do anything about it. That's got to be the worst job ever. And I expect them to smile at me when I come in. Like that's the, that's the level of service I expect from there. We have built a world of comfort, but Jesus hasn't called us to that. He says, I want you to serve at the cost of your own survival. That's what losing your life looks like. If we're really serious about losing our life to find it, then we're gonna have those moments where we sit down with our spouse and we look them in the eye and we say, I don't know how we can do this, but we have to do this. 
There are going to be these moments where, where there's, there's like, I know, I know I need to do it, but I don't want to. Like there's going to be these, these moments of war within us. Otherwise, I, I don't know if we're living that life where we are living, we're serving at the cost of our own survival. I, I had lunch with a, a pastor friend of mine this past week, and uh, he was talking about the Lord had put in front of him this opportunity to adopt. And, uh, and so they were going to adopt these, these, uh, these girls, but these girls had brothers, and they couldn't adopt the brothers because they're older than their biological daughter. And you just don't do that. There's just too much danger there, right? Like there's danger. These, these boys are, are older than our daughter and they come from trauma. And so, you know, there's no telling what, there's just obvious danger there for their own daughter. And so, you know, they're saying we can't adopt them or whatever. And, and he said that God had told him to adopt, like adopt these two boys, and he was like, no, 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 that can't happen. Like, we won't do that. We can't do that. And so he remembers, like, he remembers God told him to pull his car over. He pulled over, and God spoke to him really clearly and told him, he said, do you believe that if these boys um, molest your daughter, that I could redeem that story? Not, do you believe that I'll protect your daughter? Do you believe that if they do this to your daughter, if they victimize your daughter, that I could redeem her story. And he had to come to a crossroads because he had to either say, no, I do not believe that and give up pastoring forever because he's found the, the, the end of God's redemptive power. Or he had to say, yes, we'll adopt these boys. And so they did. They adopted these boys. They, and so they went from a family of six, they had four kids, to a family of 10. Now they have eight kids. And, and so, and, and, and I, I asked him, I said, so like, how's that going? And he goes, it's trauma. Every day is trauma. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, I, um, I, is that, is that my mom is here? Right. I got to go. No, but like it, he said, no, no, it's trauma. He goes, but, but every day my wife dies every day. She dies to herself every single day. Every day we lose our lives. That day does not start out, nor does it end the way we wanted it to. And every day we lose it. And every day we find God's joy. Every day we find our life. Every day we find the life that he has for us. And I was just like, I was just absolutely in awe. You know, like sitting here having this conversation. And, and, and I guess like the big point I got out of it and the big point I want to say to you is that I don't want to just survive anymore. I don't want to. Everybody does that. That's not what Jesus has called us to. He said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. I don't want to survive anymore. I don't. Instead, I want to serve at the cost of my own survival. I want to lose my life so that I can find it. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to just survive. And so my big question for us is, if that's true for you as well, how do we move from this mindset of survival to this mindset of service? How do we move from sacrificing our, our, our service so that we survive? How do we move from that to sacrificing our survival so that we can serve? How do we move from that? Well, well, maybe you're a lot like me. Whenever an opportunity comes up that's difficult, like an opportunity for me to serve that's absolutely going to cost me, um, there's a voice that pops up in my head. Anybody else hear voices? It's a safe place. Anyway, there's this voice that kind of pops up in my head, and he immediately, he's, he's like a defense attorney for me. Like he's immediately like, um, you know, 
you know, you guys were going to use that money for this. You, you know, you, you don't like to sweat. Yes, I do know that, right? Like, you know that this isn't, like, this is going to be really hard, and you could just not do it, and no one would even know. Like, it's not that big a deal. And in fact, I'm really not being completely honest with you. That voice in my head doesn't sound like that. He sounds more like John Goodman from uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Anybody? Uh, like, that's that's kind of the that's kind of the voice, that I got, like, a, like an old Southern lawyer, you know, like, now, now y'all. Right. So anyway, so that's that's really what's happening in my head. I just want you to think I was too crazy. But anyway, I immediately I have all these reasons not to do it. Like immediately. Like that dude, that voice in my head immediately. It's got just a list. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here's another reason not to do it. And you know what? I, I think I need another voice in there. You guys are gonna go to the elders and be like, okay, so Grant has been here four weeks and he hears voices. But no, no, no. I need what I mean is I need the voice of truth in there. I need God's voice voice through his word in there, fighting against that selfish voice in my own mind. And so that's kind of what I want us to do now is I want to put that voice of truth in our minds now. I want us to look at the scripture together and I want to look at three big truths that will help bolster us and bolster our resolve to serve even though it costs us our own survival. Here's the first big truth. You ready? Jesus cares. Now you go like, okay, I didn't have to come to church to know that like Jesus cares. I can read billboards, okay? Like I get it, Jesus cares. No, 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 listen to me. He, he cares about your sacrifice. It's not trivial to him. If you look at the scriptures, look at verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus was deeply moved. If you back up, we have the shortest verse in scripture. And what is that? Jesus wept. Now hang on a second. Why did he do that? Jesus knows that in like two minutes, he's gonna call Lazarus out and they're gonna have the craziest reunion party ever. You know what I mean? Like Jesus knows, he knows the punchline. Like he knows how it's gonna end. Why is he upset? Why is he weeping? It doesn't say Jesus shed a tear. It doesn't say Jesus cried. It says Jesus wept. When was the last time you wept, right? You saw Lassie, right, or something like that, or Titanic or whatever. Like, when was the last time, I mean, you ugly cried. Jesus ugly cried over this. Why? Why in the world? Because you know what? For, for Mary and for Martha and for all these people who love Lazarus, this was a sacrifice. For God to put on display his power cost them. What did it, what did it cost them? They watched their brother die. They mourned their brother. Like four days, four days of mourning their brother, trying to move on, going through that process of just pain. It cost them. And guess what? It wasn't trivial to Jesus. Jesus didn't roll in and go like, don't even worry about it. Hey, don't even worry about it, fam. I got this. No, no, no. What's he doing? He weeps with them. He's deeply moved in the same way like he cares about you. Yes, absolutely, it will cost you to serve, to be obedient. God is gonna call you, and I'm gonna go ahead and say that I bet God's gonna call some people in this room today. It's already on your mind. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now to do something that is gonna severely cost you and your family. I believe that. But he doesn't do that lightly. It's not trivial to him. He cares. He's moved by your sacrifice. That's inspiring. That's inspiring, that's loving, that's caring, and that's how Jesus feels. When we sacrifice, we can do it with full confidence knowing that Jesus isn't playing a game with our lives. This means something to him. It matters to him. So remember that. Jesus does care about your sacrifice. Second thing, 
Jesus is in control. This narrative shows us Jesus' complete control. I mean, Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick, and Jesus waited a couple of days. The timing was perfect. He waited for Lazarus to die. He waited so that when he showed up, it had been four days. There's a common belief um, back then by a lot of rabbis that uh, for three days, the spirit of the person would hover over the body and potentially re-enter it, right? But after three days was over, it was like, ah, I, I don't know if they put like a rope up or whatever. They're like, can't cross, can't come back. But anyway, on the fourth day, they believed the spirit would move on. Like there's no re-entering the body. And so Jesus waited. Why did he wait so long? Because he wanted the miracle to be clear. You want people to go, he's only dead two days, guys, right? Like he, his spirit probably just like decided to come back because someone cooked like a good meal or whatever. Like it's not a big deal. Jesus didn't do this. No, no, no. He waited. So his timing was perfect. He, he has power over death. Not only does he have power over death, he has power over everybody there. I mean, think about it. What does Caiaphas say? Look there, the, the chief priest there in verse 49. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And listen, verse 51. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one of the children of God who are scattered abroad. Did you hear that? The high priest who's looking to kill Jesus, God makes him prophesy about Jesus' sacrifice. What? Right? Like God is so in control of this situation. The person who's trying to kill Jesus prophesies about Jesus' sacrifice. Amazing. God is in complete control. And so we can sacrifice our survival to serve because God is never victim of the circumstances. And where are you and I? According to John 10, we just looked at it a few weeks ago. Where are you and I? In his hand. That's where we are. We're in his hand, and he is never victim of the circumstances. There is never a time where you are gonna throw yourself into service. You're gonna throw yourself into a place where you're sacrificing, and you're going, this is completely outside of my control. This is not gonna come together. There's never a time where God's gonna be like, well, I don't know what we're gonna do. Like, no, 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 he's in complete control. He is never a victim of circumstances. And the Bible says we are right in the middle of his hand. So we can sacrifice. We can take crazy risks, because there's nothing that removes us from his hand. The second, the, the second thing about that is we can sacrifice survival to serve because he has complete control over your fear and over your anxiety. You know, uh, this means that in those moments, just because you make a decision to serve and to sacrifice, it doesn't mean that it makes it less scary, right? It doesn't mean that, that all of the, the things that you're risking, they're not that important to you anymore. No, 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 there is definitely fear there, but God is just as much in control of that. You can bring that to him. You're not in control of fear. Fear is like, people always say like, fear is a choice. Okay, like let me, uh, let me just throw like a rattlesnake in your lap right now, right? Like, oh, you're afraid? Why are you afraid? Fear is a choice. You're choosing to fear? No, like no. Fear is not a choice, okay? Like that's just a, a response. I'm outside of control here. I'm afraid. That's, a, that's an okay thing. But So it's outside of our control, but it's not outside of God's control. Not for one second. And so like Philippians 4 says, we can bring everything to him. I can bring my fear to him. I can say, God, I know what you want me to do, but I am terrified. Help me do it. And guess what? He will. He will. Philippians 4, 6 says, tells us to bring everything to him. Philippians 4, 7 tells us that, and then he will give us a peace that surpasses all understanding that doesn't make any sense. And that's what he'll give us. So we know that he's in control. The third thing, 
Jesus lets you see the glory of God through faith. Look at verse 40 where Jesus responds to Martha. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? When we trust God and we step out in faith, we get to see his glory. And here's what I mean by that. Glory is like a word we use all the time in, in church, and, and, and maybe we don't define it well. Maybe we don't know what it is, but here's, here's what I think it means. We get to see his beauty like nobody else. We get to see his power like nobody else. We get to see his otherness. We get to experience him like nobody else. And that's what Jesus says. If you believe in this moment, Martha, you will see the glory of God. You'll experience God. You'll, you'll see a, a clearer picture of who he is than you have ever seen before. You'll see that beauty. I mean, look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees don't get that. What do the Pharisees do? The Pharisees, they try to protect their kingdom. It's about us. I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to trust you. And so what do they get? They get anxiety. That's all they get. They get anxiety and worry. They don't see the glory of God. They see the power of God and they don't see it. Do you get that? They know that Lazarus is now walking around again. Hey, I'm not dead anymore, guys. And all they get is worry. They don't celebrate at all. It's kind of like when uh, this summer we took some of our students from my old church to uh, Chattanooga. We went to uh, Rock City and there's this over, there's just like this platform and you can see like five different states from there. Like it's this incredible, like where all these states meet and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's breathtaking. And we're standing, like we're standing up there and we're looking at it. And you know what I see off to the corner? I see like students over here like this. Right? And they're on it. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm on Instagram. Why? Right? And they're like, well, I, I want to see what people are doing. Oh, I know what you're doing. You're missing this, right? Like, look at this over here, right? And it was like frustrating because you don't see it. Like, you don't see it for what it is. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Like, look at what God has done. And in the same way, like, if we don't step out in faith and put ourselves in places where we have to sacrifice to serve, then we won't see it either. We'll miss out on what God is doing. And that's how God rewards us. He rewards our sacrifice and service with seeing God's glory. You get to see him turn someone from death to life. You get to see him provide when it doesn't even make sense. You get to see him bring hope to the darkest of places. And you get to experience him in a way that you never experienced him before. And only those who give of themselves like that, who trust God enough to say, I will serve even though it costs me everything, will get to see the glory of God like that. And I want to see the glory of God like that. There's this uh, missionary, John Petona. Um, he was a missionary over 100 years ago to a place called uh, New uh, Hebrides, and um, he was being pursued by hostile natives. Uh, and this is, this is what he wrote. He was sacrificing survival to serve, and this is what he wrote about his experience. Being entirely at the mercy of such doubtful and vacillating friends, I, though perplexed, felt it best to obey. I climbed into the tree, and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages, yet I sat there among the branches, listen, as safe in the arms of Jesus 
Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than with the moonlight flickered among these chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. If thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death, itself have you a friend that will not fail you then that incredible testimony he's saying like i would go sit in a tree with people pursuing to kill my life over and over and over again just to have that moment of god back just to experience him like i experienced him in that moment and that's one of the things that god reserves for us for for those who would go out and give all to serve other people the glory of God is waiting for you. I'd like for us now in our time remaining to, to kind of just reflect. And, and so if you would, would you, would you just bow your head, close your eyes, just, let's just spend some time in, in focused reflection. And I wanna ask you a question. Your heads are bowed, your eyes closed. How does God want you to serve? Is God speaking to you right now? I believe he is. I believe there are people in this room that he's speaking to right now. How does he want you to serve? Is, is it a person that pops in your mind? Is there a relationship you need to pursue and, 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 and you need to, to work out? Is it, is it a circumstance that he wants you to step into that you have knowledge of? Is, is there a sacrifice that he is requiring of you? Remember, remember, he deeply cares. Remember that he's in control and remember that he has the glory of God waiting to reveal to you as you sacrifice. And maybe there are others of you in this room as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Maybe I'm speaking to someone else. You know, the Pharisees asked a question that I think you have to ask yourself. They said, what are we to do? What, what are we to do with this Jesus? And I think you have to answer the same, the same question. Do you believe? Games are over. We're not playing church anymore. Do you believe? Do you follow Jesus? What's keeping you from that? I would ask you to surrender right now. Surrender to him right now. And just say in the quietness of your heart and mind, Jesus, I want to follow you. Forgive me. The Bible says he will. He'll forgive you. He'll give you a new life. Say, forgive me. I want to follow you. You are now in charge of my life. You are the Lord of my life. You can have that new life right now. God, I thank you so much your love for us. I thank you so much that you did not leave us to ourselves and said you gave all for us. God, may we honor you by doing the same. May we honor you by sacrificing our own survival to serve. May we honor you by sacrificing our own survival to burn as the brightest lights in this world that we can be. God, help us. Give us the courage to step out of this place this week ready to go and do that, ready to go and be Jesus in our workplaces and be Jesus in our homes and be Jesus in our neighborhoods. We love you. And we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.